0: Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. I'm getting ready for my spring show at Miles McHenry Gallery, and every painting, all the gesso, mediums, all of it is being made with Golden Artist materials. Not only do they make conventional acrylics, they also have open acrylics, which stay wet longer, and sew flat, which dry to an extremely matte finish. They also make incredible gesso, matte medium, gel mediums, core watercolors, Williamsburg oils, and much more. Check them out in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes amazing coffee that you can get delivered straight to your door. They even have a subscription plan where you can get a rotating variety of blends shipped directly to you. Check them out at fulcrumcoffee.com and use the code Alfredstudio to get 10% off your order. Joelle Dietrich's paintings, drawings, and animations explore infrastructure, particularly housing, and its manipulation by automated global economic systems. Her work has been shown at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Jacksonville, Transidio MX in Mexico City, Tina B. Festival in Prague and Venice, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago, the MCA San Diego, Long March Space in Beijing, Arc Gallery in Chicago, Soho 20 in New York, and MPG Gallery in Boston. She has attended residencies at McDowell, Kunsthaus Salzburg, Anderson Ranch, the Virginia Center for Creative Arts, Banff Center of the Arts, and the School of Visual Arts, and received grants and fellowships from the National Endowment of the Arts, the University of California, Florida State University, the Fulbright U.S. Scholar Program, and she's completed a BFA in painting from Penn State and an MFA in visual arts from the University of California in San Diego. She was born in Pennsylvania and teaches at Davidson College outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Joelle and I talk about making murals, traveling the globe, the element of sound, undergrad days, current work, and much more. Here's our conversation. Thing, blood i've seen in the show it looks great thank you and that's exciting yeah
1: it's the most confident i've felt about a show in a long time like i just you know the first 10 years of motherhood it's just like whew. I, don't, <laughs> I mean there were times where i would do those big murals i mean sophia was only a couple years old when i did those um and i was just so hungry to paint that i just made it happen and they were like yeah it's gotta be painted over in a month and i'm like that's perfect it's about foreclosure so like whatever <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I, you just do what you got to do, right?
0: Yeah. Um. Do you, I'm, You. I would imagine most parents are in this situation where there's your creative life before that, which time is different, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, your clock is your clock. And yeah, you have work or you have whatever you have to do, but it's manageable. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden a new clock enters your life. And that totally. clock is not synced necessarily and it doesn't care about your (laughs) clock (laughs) yeah
1: it's so So you end up
0: i i realize that there's so many times where i end up making decisions or doing things differently than i would if i had all day and night and it affects the work i don't think it affects it i think i've managed a way that it's not a negative you know what i mean i've i've learned Mm -hmm. the positives of like deciding quickly and not stewing over things for like you know months and or whatever you know yeah there's just a different kind of you know it's kind of like MacGyver like you're trying to to diffuse the bomb you know you can't just sit there and deliberate for like 10 years you have to make a decision to just go with it 100% probably good for some things yeah I think so
1: too yeah no for sure it's been really good for me um parenthood really really hard but like I don't know, you just think in different ways, you learn to prioritize, and um, yeah, I, I've I've gotten questions about my color palette, and I think, I mean, since I've had Sophia, just, the they've gotten so, it's gotten so bright, all the work has gotten so bright, so I don't yeah. know what that's about, but it's kind of amazing to watch it evolve, and things bubble back up, you know? Yeah. So, you know.
0: Yeah, palette, yeah. I wonder... How that? I mean, you you know, you get influenced by what you see, what you experience, and then the influences of your work sometimes plays a part in it. Or mm-hmm. there's the intuitive stuff. Color is yeah. so hard to to really pin down. Mm-hmm. People love to ask that questions, like, well, "What? Tell me about your color." Right. And it's, I feel like it's almost unless you're hyper conceptual mm. about every decision made, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of vagueness to it, which you know, it happens
1: totally but like with the sherwin series that was like highly conceptual right like it was using the color palettes recommended just before the foreclosure before the housing bubble burst so that was literally like a paint company designed my colors and then i would take the hex code from the colors and then i would incorporate it into flash and then i would paint them on the wall and i was actually using their paint right sherwin williams paint so it was all like yeah super tight Conceptual yeah, choice of color.
0: Yeah, I think people do that too. There's a lot of people yeah. work straight out of the tube. So it's like a golden choice or a, you know, or whoever they're using. Mm hmm. Yeah. To an extent. Um, but yeah, so, well, I guess we can go back to way back. Sure. Where you got your start. Sure. As a human. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, know much about your childhood, even though I've known you for a long time.
1: Yeah um well pennsylvania obviously um born and raised in harrisburg pennsylvania and uh it was a great location because it was so central to so many cities so it was like two and a half hours to dc two hours to baltimore two hours to philly three and a half to new york three and a half to pittsburgh you know so we were constantly going to all those and seeing museum shows and stuff like that mostly organized through the school my dad was a woodshop teacher and my mom was a administrator at the navy depot so um they didn't have a huge background in art but i was i would definitely like go to plays and see shows often
0: yeah i think a lot of people outside of pennsylvania probably wouldn't guess that harrisburg's the capital you know you think philly or something for sure. But what what's the capital situation there? I mean, I've, not, I've never spent a lot of time in Harrisburg.
1: Yeah, every time I meet people and I mention them from Harrisburg, they say, oh, yeah, I drive through that place <laughs> once. You know, it's always a place people drive through. Um, but it's it's really beautiful. I mean, it went through some of the same waves that all the cities in the United States went through. You know, like the downtown revivals, um, the periods like, you know, in the 80s where it was a tougher space um but i don't know overall it was a super positive experience but it's interesting when i was in graduate school my um graduate my mfa thesis advisor jennifer pastor she brought up um that astronauts supposedly they they are born and raised in the same place and it's off to a small town in like indiana or something mm-hmm. and that's perhaps one of the reasons they want to go far far away so yeah, I spent yeah. a huge part of my career after being in that one place, like going overseas, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. And
0: when you when you started doing that, you did were you cognizant of it? Of like, oh, I love this, getting out and like seeing other things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first time I moved out of Pennsylvania directly after uh, Penn State for undergrad, I went to um, work at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. I lived there for a year in the late nineties. And it was amazing because there were all these people collaborating with, like, you know, artists collaborating with robotics people and um, computer science. And um, Steve Kurtz from Critical Art Ensemble was there. Simon Penny uh, was into robotics. Stellark was there in residence at the Whoa, studio Stellark. for Creative Inquiry. Yeah, it was like this incredible, incredible time to be there. Faith Wilding. Um, and then my boss there, Brian Rogers, said, I think you have to get out of Pennsylvania. You know, And he had lived, he had been the editor for Leonardo, this art and tech magazine that was based out of um, San Francisco. And he's like, I think you got to go to California. So I actually listened to him and I moved out to San Diego. San Diego. So, yeah. Oh,
0: it's always sunny.
1: That's right. That's right. That's actually where I did my graduate degree later on. But before I did that, I went overseas. I There were these um, international job, like, teaching international teaching position job fairs like conferences um and so we went to those and i was thinking anywhere you know maybe not the middle east because there, there were some tensions like the second intifada had just started um and then of course that's where i landed <laughs> i landed in bahrain <laughs> so uh yeah which is off the coast of saudi arabia it was fascinating and i was there during 9 11 so um we got to see, like, you know, protests at the embassy down the street. And, um yeah, it was just fascinating. Uh, Wait,
0: when you say you landed there, it sounds as if you got in a boat.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just headed <laughs> towards a, a landmass and you just bumped into it. Yeah. But what was the, uh, what like, how was that decision made? Like, what was the, the structure of that?
1: Yeah, I think... um, um Yeah, my ex-husband and I just were looking for something else, you know, like, yeah, it's always sunny in San Diego, and that was a great experience, but we had heard about these international schools conferences, and we were just curious. Like, I always had wanderlust. um, Even in undergrad, I spent my entire junior year abroad at Temple University, Rome, where I studied with Stan Whitney, and it was just like, it was wonderful because it was an art school experience, right? And that's not what we got at Penn State. So, um, yeah, I was just making, it was painting like all day, all night, you know, it was incredible. Um, so I think I was wanting that experience again, where it was the most productive I've ever been my entire career. Um, so I think I've just wanted, I wanted to be back overseas again.
0: So how was Bahrain?
1: It was good. I, I was actually teaching high school art, um, but it was the ib program and our uh the director of the school was palestinian um so when 9 11 happened we got all these insights into the middle eastern conflicts which of course is on everyone's mind right now and uh yeah it was just it was incredible it was it's a british protectorate or it was um so there was a lot of expats there um so i started doing a lot of research into female expatriates um, so that that came into the work in graduate school as well.
0: So, how how long were you there?
1: I was there for two years.
0: Well, that's a long time.
1: Yeah, and then we got a job in Munich. So I taught there for a year, and then I went back to UC San Diego, which was amazing. So I was like, Jeffer Pastor Barbara Kruger was there, Lev Manovich, um, Grant Kester. It was just. It was so good. (laughs) It was a three-year program, and uh, I did. I was doing a lot of video at that point. So in Bahrain, I was just constantly capturing video. And part of that, I don't know if you remember, like my work in undergrad was it was paintings, but it was multiple panels. So it was always it always felt like it was like thinking about film. It was thinking about the like moment that you paint a picture, and then the moments just before that, and the moments after. Mm -hmm. So I was. yeah, I just thought, well, shoot, if I am if I need to capture all these images that I'm working from, like, why not do video? And then I can have greater control. Yeah. And plus, I was always a film buff, and I just loved independent film. So, um, yeah, that's why I did the first couple of years in graduate school was video, experimental video.
0: Um, what were you doing to it that was experimental? Like, were you just filming locally?
1: Yeah, it was a, a lot of my footage from overseas, but trying to process it, yeah. Um, with research, I think, you know, UC San Diego's uh, Eleanor Anton was there. David Anton, um, very conceptually based, a little bit research based, um, and so I think I was I was looking at that video through that lens. Um, but then I, I've always been a painter, drawler type. So I would I would make these like paper cuts and um, drawings where I was drawing on like a vellum. So I would like print on this vellum, and then I would work on top of it with Sharpie and spray paint and oil paint. Um, and it was this double matte film that had no memory, so you could like roll it up for an exhibition, and then you could just like pop it out of the tube, and it was like in perfect condition. Like I still have a roll of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it was good. I but I've always been really practically minded, like that. I'm always like, like I love sculpture at Penn State, but I was like, where do you store that stuff? Oh, like yeah. I kind of, you know what I mean. So, Storage,
0: but practical, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Some people ignore that at their own peril yeah. sometimes. Right, but yeah, but yeah, that's well, right. when you're moving around a lot. I'm sure that informs just your sensibility to, you know, how you're organizing your life because yeah. there's, there's a lot of flux going on. Exactly. But, you're seeing so many different things, you know? Right. I would imagine the shift between Bahrain and San Diego is pretty severe. Pretty severe. Yeah. Palette wise, culturally, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And it's true. I mean, every time you move to a different place, it really does affect your palate, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, and related to that, in anticipation of this interview, I was like, oh man, what music was I listening to back then? You know? (laughs) And I, I like, I think motherhood has like erased part of my memories. Like, I really, I was so into music growing up, but I, so I peeked at this like indie, you know, this like, I think it was called Music for Misfits. It was like a BBC um, documentary. It was talking about like early indie rock. And they were talking about the manchester scene and just like how gray and dark it was like the landscape and the soot and everything and how that that music like evolved against the backdrop drop of all that gray you know right so it's interesting to think about like when i was in san diego it was like so bright and sunny every day you know the blue yeah. skies um in fact there was a moment where like el nino came late and it confused the butterflies and they were like I watched like a thousand butterflies fly over the cool. Biz Arts building. It was just like, nice. you know, these brutalist buildings and then these like this swoop of um, color coming across them. But um, against the backdrop of all that color, I was making more black and white, like more subdued paintings. So I don't know. It's fascinating. Yeah, intu- yeah it's interesting. Yeah.
0: There's a, I think that dichotomy exists in a lot of places because, like, if you think of San Diego music, you have this sort of poppy punk reggae mm. infused stuff, and then you mm-hmm. have like the pinback. I think pinback was from there. And yeah, like, pinback. Yep. Was blackheart procession from San Diego too?
1: That sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. I think, I think we, there was a band called No Knife or something. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But you know, you like had a the bit, you had that balance.
0: Black, the I would say the burgeoning you know, it was the more poppy-punky stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe identified with the location a little more. But, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, there was, like, Don Caballero and, like, that kind of, like, indie math rock stuff that...
1: Math rock, that's You right. know,
0: it works when there's nothing else to do in town, really, and you're in your practice space all day, and you can work out long, ornate, kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. industrial-sounding songs. Totally. But, um, and, yeah, so what the the videos that you were doing in grad school did they evolve into like how did that play out as you you know had your thesis show i'm guessing and
1: yeah yeah my thesis show had animations but they were basically like these um drawings these loose line drawings that i was doing again processing the interviews of the women overseas um so in the middle of graduate school, I spent six months in Beijing and I did this project at the Long March space. It's in the Deshanza Art District. Um, and there were 60 expat, female expats and they collectively made these paper cuts that was very much inspired by Suzanne Lacy's uh, crystal quilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I recorded their conversations about living overseas. So I would often have, you know, edit soundscapes and installations that would be part of a show um a lot of drawing though so it was always this like drawing painting new media drawing painting new media I always seem to go back and forth um it makes my work not look so cohesive but it's just kind of how my brain works so
0: yeah but the method you know that that is at the core of it I think mm-hmm. probably makes it consistency inconsist-
1: in the inconsistency is that what yeah, you? yeah mean? i mean sometimes yeah.
0: it plays out visually in a different way but if there's that core of people really looking at the work and they see that core kind of foundation that's driving it that really mm-hmm. can hold it together but yeah sometimes on the surface it can be not your work in particular but work like that you know can seem disjunctive or, or a mm-hmm. little um just a, not quite so visually cohesive but conceptually mm-hmm. and, and progress or process wise it really makes sense yeah and i would say that i mean even looking at some of like your more recent mural work mm-hmm. the level of uh, abstraction and drawing and energy in that is different than when i think of i mean i can't remember that much of your early very mm-hmm. early work mm-hmm. i remember this one I think it was like panels, and it was computers or people in a computer lab, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like Mm -hmm. blue, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Good memory. (laughs) Photograph. I have a photographic memory, but it's limited. (laughs) (laughs) But that is sequential, or there is a rhythm to the things in that painting, you know. Mm -hmm. But that maybe mirrors some of the rhythm and motion and movement of work that you are doing now. But that's that's a very long. You know, pathway between those two things and connecting dots that might not even be there, but I could, I could put that together. You know?
1: No, I can totally see that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's always been like the individual, and then these larger systems, and more recently, it's been very much about architecture, which I think, I think comes from my dad being a woodshop teacher, and he like designed and built our my childhood home and all the furniture in it. So i think i've just always been in love in love with architecture um and it just keeps coming back but yeah it's these these women that were traveling overseas and then the bigger systems and then also like the, like the foreclosure crisis and the like where the people are um in relationship to that but the people disappeared that's the interesting thing to me it's like an undergrad the people were there and it was like swarms of people um and and then it was like these all-women worlds that I was doing, and these landscapes that were warping. Um, but then with the Sherwin series, the people just disappeared. <laughs> I think it was just like the viewer became the people in the paintings, or something. I don't know. Right. But I'm I'm tempted to like bring the women back. We'll see what happens in mass. <laughs> in mass, <big> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like I just. Yeah, I don't know. Like sometimes with the digital work, it just feels too tight, right? Um, yeah. And one of the reasons I got interested in generative art, um, so I don't know if you know this about my process, but like with the the Sherwin series, I was um, putting these, I was finding the foreclosed homes through databases online, and then I would take screenshots on uh, Google Earth, like the the Google Maps, but like the Street View version. Yeah. And then, uh, and so you would get these weird warping like pieces of architecture or whatever. And then I would bring them into um, Illustrator. And then at the time, I was bringing them into Flash. And then I was using code um, that was taught to me by Josh Davis, who's based in New York. He did a, um, I did a residency with him at anderson ranch and um using that code i tweaked it with my imagery and it would like randomize the houses so they would get like recolored and refragmented and positioned um, differently every time i hit the space bar and then i would take you know i would export those and those were the prints so it was this introduction of randomness to just like throw me off my game enough to like keep it fresh and sometimes with the digital work, I feel like it needs that sort of vulnerability, right? Like it needs yeah. these entry points um, where there's a real return from my students and also for me to materiality, right? Because we're just like so sick of screens sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting to watch in the work and in culture at large, right?
0: Definitely. So. I, that idea, I remember, what year was that when you were doing those sort of like generative...
1: Yeah, it was like two, yeah, like t- two thousand nine. I mean it was right the bubble burst in like two thousand eight. So it was two thousand nine, two thousand ten.
0: Yeah, I think around that time there was I at least I found it really interesting, there was these developments. Part of it was I think Flash mm-hmm. of uh generative things. Like I yeah. did a I had a show at Mary Boone and it was an animation that was just a night scene. Yeah, and there were different windows and different things happening but it was all generative so it would never and I love the idea because I love Andy Warhol's um, empire you know because Mm -hmm. it's so long and it's Mm -hmm. just beautifully quiet but it's really hard to just sit there for 12 hours or however long it is and watch the whole thing so I did this generative animation the idea is this would never repeat itself which I thought Mm -hmm. was really kind of love it you know cool because yeah. you couldn't do that before it was a new mm-hmm. phenomenon you there would never be enough video or th- it just couldn't happen no yeah. one cared <laughs> 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 i don't think anyone talked to it they were just like oh yeah it's the city and the windows got... which is it's kind of funny and cool that it never got mentioned but but in my heart i thought it was really interesting that it was like this this thing that would never repeat you know yeah. but there was There were developments, I think, with software at that time that was enabling certain things to happen with digital work that was just never able to be done before, which was exciting, I think. Yeah. I don't know, looking back, because now we can look back, being where we are today with all the software and all that, we can look back at those moments and and really feel like, wow, that it was kind of limited what you could do with the media Mm -hmm. and there weren't many people using it. To be mm-hmm. honest, or at least mm-hmm. you wouldn't see it in galleries, or you wouldn't see people writing or talking about it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah.
0: I still think yeah. it's amazing how how little animation you see in galleries or in the art world. Yeah, or maybe I don't go out much. But no, I, I feel, feel like, like there
1: is like, more. I mean, there is obviously more well, than when you were yeah. first showing right. your paintings and animations together. I mean, you were definitely one of the first doing that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, I'm see- I am feel like I see more of it, but not a ton, not a ton. What's well, so sure. easy
0: and fun to use now, you know so good. Mean, that you would think Ugh. it, but I guess most people who have an interest in those moving images, maybe they just gravitate more towards, you know, that motion graphics or movies or cartoons or whatever it is, you know what I yeah. mean, but yeah. I, I think there's a really interesting gray area there to be explored.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree, hundred percent. So, are most most of your animations? Some of them are f- fast, but sometimes they're, they're mostly slow, right? Like, like me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stop. <That laughs> like I think. I mean, art, stop. Yeah, but you had the beauty and danger, which really speeds up. I show I show students that animation quite a bit. I love that animation. That was
0: Ben, though. Ben enabled that speed. Oh I yeah. Never, I would never work that fast. Yeah. That's the the beauty of collaborating. Is you get to right. It's almost like I'm a musician and my songs are pretty slow. And then I had someone remix it, and it was like a drum and bass person who just like you know the BPMs went way up, which I loved. <laughs> right, I loved right. collaborating in that sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, I do normally work slow, and I personally enjoy the role that animation can play in relation to painting or my paintings or 2D imagery that really flirts with being close to it Mm -hmm. so there's like i'm working on a show for my next show in march in new york and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. have at least one but maybe two of these animations that are it's basically a view and there's one thing moving and that's all Mm -hmm. that's happening and it was really inspired by when i was in japan and looking at certain Scenes or images that were inspiring and I think to myself because that happens a lot oh I want to paint that you know that's Mm -hmm. something I really want to paint whether it's the actual scene or the vibe or whatever but there's an element moving and being like well I can capture that and Mm -hmm. display it like show it as if it's a painting but there's this very it's it's like restraint you know Mm -hmm. just very subtle movement Mm -hmm. which I don't think happens in animation much at all Mm-hmm. Because as soon as people get can move things, they want to move a lot of things, or you move it over time and you move multiple things. The only time I ever see it these days is when I'm watching a YouTube video with like lo-fi, mm-hmm. you know, those lo-fi playlists where they have like yeah. one thing moving in it. And mm-hmm. I love those.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Because they're just yeah.
0: quiet and slow. So I think that's where my mind is sometimes. Slow. Yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it pushes against like yeah, quick cut videos, right? Uh, commercials, MTV, whatever, you know, like, yeah, to see that slow film is so moving. Um, there's a book, I forget, it's like Transcendental Film, Ozu, the Japanese director, Ozu is one of the people that is covered. It's, it's a really beautiful book, um, talking about that type of work and the history of that slow that slower pace in film
0: yeah Um, you have to send me that i I feel like it's very i'm really interested in those things i feel like Mm -hmm. it's dangerous territory because these days there's just not the attention span. like it's it's Mm -hmm. really hard to get people to slow down like that so i think i'm gonna do it though you know
1: (laughs) but i think it's comforting right like i mean with the with the chasing the sun animations that are up in brooklyn right now like that's like an early prototype for a piece that I'm doing at Virginia Tech, where it's supposed to surround the viewer. They have like a cyclorama, where you can project nice. all around. Um, and I've always it's so it's combining extinct plants and uh, eco-friendly homes from from women architects, but it's all slowed down. Um, and it's split into 24 sections for 24 time zones, and then there's sections of it that get dark that are supposed to align with when it's getting dark in that part of the world. Um, so it's very, very slow time. But I, I think of it as a place to like process climate grief, right? Like that yeah. there would be bean bags and like people would be, you know, encouraged to just like take a break from their normal frenetic activity, you know, right. and just like slow down, people. Um, I, I
0: think it's yeah i hope it works it works for yeah. me so mm-hmm. that i think that's why i engage in that pace because if i think about the works that that i'm like really i mean i love everything but what but the stuff that really gets me mm-hmm. you know if i'm thinking of like um you know bruce nauman and the bottom of the dia the the very slow studio mm-hmm. video or a Terrell where you're just you know waiting for 15 minutes to see something appear or or the hole in the ceiling or mm-hmm. the John Cage song with like silence in it or what you know mm-hmm. there's a pace to that stuff that is introspective it's quiet it's slow like On Kawada is one of my favorite artists I mean most mm-hmm. people are like are you kidding but I those I can't get enough and yeah. Uh, I think that yeah, that's difficult work these days because mm-hmm. you it's important I think to be able to slow down or that idea of slowing down but I don't know if people are wired to do it conceptually they might but then again who cares so I just hadn't you know in my my class that I teach I had them watch La Jetée which I think is one of the most beautiful moments in film ever agreed agreed and it's so slow and so mm-hmm. minimal I mean, it's just, you can do so much with little. And maybe in the midst, or at least I feel this way, I don't know how you feel, but maybe in the midst of all this noise, the quiet is even more powerful. It's easier to ignore it, mm-hmm. but it can be more powerful, I think.
1: I agree, 100%. How did they respond? How did the students?
0: No, I think they liked it. Oh, good. Yeah. I, oh, you good. know I mean, you no one watches Legitore. I mean, that's like one of the best... Sci-fi movies of all time, I think. Right, it's right, compelling. Right. It's, I think that the trick is like I remember playing Koyaanisqatsi for a class one time, like years and years ago. That's yeah. tough, I, or weekend or something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are really, you know, mind-blowing experiences. But um, something like La Jetée, I think it's so compelling and it's it's accessible in the sense of like the human, the the reveal in it is so powerful you know mm-hmm. that ideally people can just tap into that you play an hour-long Tony Conrad piece where he's playing one note and that's a tough sell <laughs> <from> the, <laughs> that's like you know advanced level like monotony
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure um so yeah what uh, have you been teaching that class over and over again the like what's the name of it digital and at like the oh the that painting digital thing yeah whatever no, you chose specific
0: legit. that specific class is a seminar contemporary seminar class so oh, it's okay. it's in the painting area but it's everyone takes it. like sculptures, mostly grads and, and upper it. level undergrads but it's kind of to be honest tailored how I want to tailor it so it'll mm-hmm. take on things of the day or issues or whatever but, and then we mm-hmm. also talk about their work and visiting artists zoom in so it's it's just a big old pot of whatever. But uh, the La Jeuette came up because of um, one of the students' work was dealing with the sort of like dreamlike sequences and erasure of memory. And mm. then th- there was a Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind references that we were bringing up. So it kind of, you know, it's organic. It just kind of went back to that.
1: Got it. Got it.
0: So you, well, let's get back to you and your work. <laughs> so <laughs> the the 2d work murals digital work i mean there's a lot going on as far as developments in the way that you're using this stuff different venues that i would imagine open your eyes up to new ways to thinking about how these things can be shown yeah it seems like the wanderlust of your youth <laughs> <laughs> continues you on Co- yeah. you're still young continues <laughs> you. on in your slightly advanced youth, <laughs> into many different ways of working—not just places, but also, you know, venues, ways—and it—it uh, it, it seems as though you're really interested in, um, sort of melding into different ways that you can show the work, right? And, and yeah. that's directing the work in a little way.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm excited about the Virginia Tech experience. And then um, there's also, I've been invited to show down at McCall, which is this residency center down in Charlotte. Um, And it's like sort of an old church building and they have a lot of monitors, but I'm also interested in using um, used monitors, right? Like, so it's about extinct plants. Creating more electronic waste is not something I'm aiming to do. Um, So that's a, a possibility and then there's also the possibility of me showing at Biosphere 2 at the University of Arizona, which Ooh. is this like crazy space. It looks like a Buckminster Fuller, you know, those domes, right? Yeah. And it's it's just north of Tucson. Um, and they have this space called the Lung that has a collapsible ceiling so that they can like test out all these atmospheric situations. But they've done some video installations and performances in there that I just, I think seeing it there would be epic. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it, I guarantee you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, It doesn't get as much foot traffic. That's the only thing we're trying to figure out. So there might be a space in Tucson that might be better. Um, And then I'm also showing it at the European Cultural Council um, during the next Venice Architectural Biennale. So I think that's got to be good as well because it's got to be all these architects in the space and then it's got to be my crazy animations, right? So yeah. it'll just be totally different. Um, now, are you so making we'll work see.
0: for these things individually or are you making work and then you get this container and then you have to figure out how to fit kind of the, the way you're working into that? I would imagine you're probably embracing these sort of foreign opportunities to shape the work in a different container
1: yeah for sure i am and um much to my husband's chagrin i think he would just like me to show the same animations over and over again um but now i get excited about how the work interacts with space especially because there's architecture in the work and then yeah. to see how that pushes up against the architecture of the space is super exciting um yeah i don't know um and also there's no sound in that piece right now so i went to vcu and met with um S- Stephen vitello and Um, We were talking about sound and I'm trying to figure that out because the space at Virginia Tech is the, I think it's the largest space for spatialized sound in the world, possibly. It's like an NEA research space now. So I'm just trying to figure, and and since you're a sound guy, that's actually I should be picking your brain. You gotta do
0: something epic, right? Yeah, right? so great. Although you could probably be subtle or do anything and it's gonna be pretty amazing.
1: I don't know. I've like, I showed that Sherwin series stuff and I did an animation called um, Data House Cloud that was like using the randomizer but doing like a screen c- capture with um, with QuickTime. It was very simple tech. Um, but then with some, yeah, it was a complicated animation. But anyhow, you my brother who was in bands growing up, he did the sound for it. And I asked him to use a failed hard drive in the soundtrack and he remixed that and it was awesome and i loved it and then i showed it in this group show at montserrat college of art with casey reese and a couple other people that were doing that type of work and um i think it got a little irritating
0: (laughs) you know like to have
1: that going in the in the gallery space over and over again you have to be really careful especially if you want to be about climate grief and like for it to be a soothing space like i think it needs to Like I thought about the like Cornell archives, like the bird sounds, or like. But I don't want it to be too illustrative. It's something I'm really struggling with. Like I want to, I don't know. It has to be just right. But sounds huge. Like I gotta figure that out.
0: Yeah, it is. It's it's such a huge component. You know that most people don't have to worry about. Do you know the? Do you know the artist Rolf Julius?
1: Oh yeah, I worked at the mattress factory for a summer, and he did an installation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was
0: it that outdoor sound piece? Yeah. He did one that was outdoor, like mm-hmm. right, when you're walking up to it and it was just yeah. it was subtle. I, I Yeah. I always thought that his his sound stuff was flirted between relaxation and irritation. There was a slight mm. tech like pinprick to it, but it was very almost like um what do you got acupuncture or something like it's mm-hmm. this relaxing thing but you are going to get that little prick of technology there that keeps you alert you know yeah totally. i don't know if he's still i haven't followed ralph julius but the advantage of the mattress factory it exposes mm. you to people that you might never have known before
1: amazing i haven't been there in so long i would love to go
0: me too it's been a while
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's such a great place if people don't know what it is it's a installation art it's a museum it's not that mm-hmm. big right it's and let's take seven
1: floors it was a mattress factory right
0: right but it's so a seven... smaller footprint it's not like this oh yeah ginormous thing, yeah but it's sure. amazing it's it's an installation mm-hmm. art museum in pittsburgh in the mexican war streets on the north side mm-hmm. good stuff
1: yeah very good
0: um yeah so you got a lot going on mm. a lot yeah. of shows coming up Is it? Is it kind of? But it's
1: it's spaced out. It's spaced out. Like I'm at a point like where I'm where I'm teaching full time. I can only do so many. I just and I that also gives time for the work to evolve, right? Yeah. So I'm okay with that. Like I I love being at this age where I'm just like it's got to take the time it needs. You know? Like I don't. I just like when I when I force it, it gets yeah not good. So well. So yeah,
0: I I would imagine this may be part of your pacing and stuff but I mean you, you have spent a lot of time teaching and that's probably something that's really important to you and also I would imagine informs the work or influences the work to some extent and mm-hmm. you know you've been in some pretty great places with some gr- pretty great resources mm-hmm. is that something that still informs your work and how you work
1: oh absolutely yeah for sure um yeah as you know now before i was at florida state which was great we had a bfa and an mfa program Um, and now i'm at davidson college which is technically a teaching college but they give a lot of support for research um so it's great like i I have a studio i have great colleagues my students are amazing um it's like 18 percent acceptance rate or whatever so they're like wicked wicked smart and i'm teaching a class right now it's It's called, um, it's kind of like the history of art and technology. It's called art and electronic media. Mm -hmm. So we go, I mean, just getting updated on like what artists are out there. And, um, we read, uh, Christian Paul's digital art book, but then we supplement it with, um, people zooming in like Charlotte Kent zoomed in on Tuesday and she was amazing. She talked about AI and art. Um, yeah. So it's constantly making me rethink the way I work, um, I mean, like the randomizers and stuff, that was like light AI, right? You know? yes, definitely. So it's interesting to see that manifest in different ways now. And Charlotte's so good at curating, like who are the people that are doing like really conceptually rigorous work with AI, right? Um, so yeah, no, I feel really lucky. Do you- feel really, um, really lucky.
0: Has there been monumental shifts in- in the way your area is in and the way digital art has been integrated into art education from you know the onset of like this tools that can assist in the making into now realization tools of of the work floating in and out i mean have you found that it's easy to keep up with the way that those areas integrate and Interdisciplinary, you know, work, and then also siloing of of work in schools. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just curious as to how it seems like there. I mean, from visiting Davidson, there's some really cool resources there as far as tech is concerned.
1: Mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the crazy thing is, my position was a visiting line for years, so it was sort of an afterthought, right? Like it was turned into a tenure track position later on, and. Um, Yeah, so it doesn't, the facilities are a little bit less than sculpture and painting and printmaking or whatever. Um, But we're hoping to expand. We'll see what happens. But it's, yeah, it's constantly shifting and changing. And I'm actually a crossover position between the art department and digital studies, which is more of this, like, the humanities looking at the ethical and equitable use of technology, right? Um, So it's a great place to be, but I definitely feel like I'm, like a little strung out sometimes between right. interested parties. Um, I but I think like it has a lot of potential. Though. Yeah, yeah. Where
0: because it's kind it's of like so tacked new. on. It, well, it's well, so new that it's Well, hard let's to talk to about how
1: new about it is, Brian. I don't know if you remember, like when, we, when I first arrived at Penn State in the early 90s, Um, I was offered space at, like, the honors hall or whatever. Mm -hmm. And one of the things to tempt you there was that you would get this thing called an email address. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Right. And then by the time I graduated, (laughs) by the time I graduated, it was, like, Photoshop and Illustrator is in the labs. And we're taking a class with, like, the the photography teacher who is teaching those things, right? So it was just so, so much change. Um, And then to go to Carnegie Mellon, that's always had tech, like, there with the arts, like, for ever right yeah um and then go to california where it's like tech and art is integrated but it's all sort of patchworked like you're saying like it's yeah it's weird maybe
0: mit is just right like it's it's just like water it's like intuitive and flows (laughs) but i feel like everywhere else is like what? how do we then (laughs) all the archaic departments are like well do we do this and then there's cross-listing and you know it's it's the technology of i mean we're in that phenomenon of the advancements are made so much faster than our structural bureaucracies can handle which is really wild you know yeah
1: yeah definitely
0: I guess it's just the way the way it is did you did I hear you pronounce CMU the correct way do you have the right I think so
1: did I say CMU did I say Carnegie Mellon what no you're
0: saying Carnegie
1: oh Carnegie yeah
0: yeah is that correct (laughs) <laughs> it, it is tomato tomato what well some people well, most people say carnegie
1: carnegie like carnegie mm. hall
0: but people mm. from pittsburgh carnegie. I, I grew up in carnegie like yeah. in the town in pittsburgh called carnegie that's awesome so we always called it carnegie
1: i love pittsburgh it's great i, I really if any, do
0: if anyone wants to go somewhere where it's well is it still cheap it must be
1: Probably it's
0: still cheap. I think. Yeah. Really good food, cheap, good industrial oh, the spaces.
1: Amazing. You yeah. can
0: have a studio the size of whatever for nothing. Yeah. There's yeah. a great artistic community. I mean, obviously, it's not mm-hmm. you know Paris or New York or LA or whatever. It's provincial, but you got the but Warhol. Gritty, you have the Carnegie like, Museum. You have yeah. Yeah, you have great food. You have the mattress factory. You have sports if you're into hills and bridges, I mean, you're set. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. I went back recently, I don't go back that often, and the last time I was back, I actually did a mural in my hometown of Carnegie. Oh, nice. And uh, I was driving around like, I forgot just how hilly this damn town is. It's like up <laughs> and It has the most steep hill ever, even more steep than Lombard Street in San Francisco. Oh wow. Yeah, it's it's bonkers.
1: So steep ever in like the United States? Oh steep? yeah, probably. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: I don't know that's probably wrong, but <laughs> that's what it's built as is like this mm. is the most insane like vertical road ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's and a it, great town. It is so good people should but
1: it's funny living in harrisburg we were always like philly of course like that's mid you know pittsburgh is midwest we couldn't possibly be affiliated with that so to get to know it so intimately through i did get an internship at the carnegie museum of art as well and then mattress factoring yeah so i just fell fell in love with the place um yeah it's weird i haven't been back in so long
0: yeah the carnegie international too is a great show oh yeah so good Amazing! I remember being young and going there and seeing stuff that still to this day I was like, "Oh, I know that artist because of the international." Mm -hmm. But I do see the the Philly appeal. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's got more. I feel like more soul, like the music and the jazz and the hip hop, and there's there's it's got a nice. Well, and museum. I could take a train. There.
1: I could take a train there, right? So, yeah, that's true. Couldn't take a train to Pittsburgh. Well, yeah. I, I guess you can, but I don't know. Yeah, it was so quick. Days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: You'll be on one of those, you know, where they have those trains where you take your kids when they're little, and you have the little seesaw <laughs> thing that makes the train totally. go. You could do that. Oh, to Pittsburgh, it'll take you to
1: days. <laughs> totally. Oh. <laughs> uh,
0: so uh, living at Charlotte seems like a a pretty pretty good place too, right now, isn't it?
1: it is a good place um it's i'm not gonna lie it's a little bizarre sometimes like there's a lot of banking money um a little conservative nascar NASCAR. yeah there's some there's a couple strange vibes but there's a lot of good people doing good stuff so yeah i feel i feel good about it um a friend of mine in graduate school, she's like, you're doing exactly what you said you would do. In graduate, in graduate school, I apparently told her I want to live in a small college town outside of a big city. I'm like, okay. Nailed here it. Here I am. Nailed <laughs> it, yeah, right?
0: Wait, have you gone to a NASCAR race?
1: I have not. I feel like I should. You have, right? Because yeah, you, you should did a piece of that. I mean, Beauty and Danger is... Oh, I had right? a whole... That,
0: well, yeah, that was a little more like, F1 influenced. And uh, then yeah. I got into the whole... Culture of racing for a minute, and I yeah I went to NASCAR I went to Poconos to watch and oh yeah and uh, Watkins Glen but yeah it I used to think NASCAR what the hell I mean it's a car going Mm. around in a circle but when you go to it it's pretty amazing it's so loud everyone has those earmuffs on and they listen to the race on their headphone earmuffs right so it's like zen like everyone's just zen quiet. You know, and like watching it, you can't talk to people. It's way too loud. It smells like burnt rubber and gasoline. You know, it's amazing. (laughs) Wow. And the sound that it makes, it like rumbles you in the crowd. It's pretty great.
1: That's incredible.
0: But you're right there. You're like in the you're in the nexus of NASCAR universe. How
1: did you decide that was the way to go? Like what was that moment that you were like, I really need to go to NASCAR and like Oh, my son was into it. He was into oh, car son. races. Yeah, okay. he got into got it. It. I mean
0: boys. Okay. Sometimes they get into fast cars that go around in circles.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, he got he got into it and then we you know, it was just it evolved into let's go to a race. Hmm. Got it. And my neighbor's really into F one, so that helped. We got into F one stuff as well. Which is it's the complete opposite. It's so it's like money and oh. glitz, and it's all about, you know, it's like the frou-frou version of um, NASCAR.
1: Wow. Kind of like the art world. <laughs> there are many art worlds, right? That's <laughs> true.
0: That's true. There's us. Yeah. We're the, the artists in the studio are NASCAR. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Galleries and museums, f oh. fun. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, so uh, in the studio, what are you listening to? What's your music du jour? You knew I was going to ask, so I. I
1: know, I know. Um, Yeah, I don't. You know, I like uh, some Benny Goodman. I don't know, like, uh, geez, I don't (laughs) know.
0: That is that'll. so not what you were
1: expecting i you know i just when i squeeze in the studio time i am so focused like i would say in like recent years i haven't had as much on and i feel like music was so important to me i don't understand what happened quite frankly and then of course i have a 12 year old daughter so that's all you know taylor swift and like whatever like i don't even know um but yeah like i like everything i love i love music Um, what's a
0: what's your benny goodman go-to is no, I don't even know. Stuff? Like,
1: I mean, I, I I just threw that out there, but I Italian cooking music. No, I don't know. I don't. <laughs>
0: well, <there's a> <laughs> not in the studio. Not in
1: doing. the studio. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Something that's like sort of in the background, like Tycho or something. I don't oh, okay. know. Okay,
0: that works. Yeah. See, I or would...
1: actually, there was a moment this past summer where I like I revisited the Walkman. And I was just like, oh my God, this band, you know? Like, so yeah, it's yeah. weird. Like, I'm really all over the map. Um, well, that's what's
0: fun because yeah, it. I feel like if people are predictable, you mm-hmm. know, if their paintings are like small, gothy paintings of dark things and they just listen to, you know, Elliot Smith or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, Robert Smith or something, you know, mm-hmm. it, that's predictable. Mm-hmm. But I like the, you know, figuring out what people like and right. it may not have anything to do with, you know, the aesthetics of the artwork that they're creating.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's fun to see my daughter get into other stuff. Like she really likes some 80s music and she'll rediscover like the Pixies or something, you know. And um, yeah, there's there's so much good music out there. It's like out of control.
0: Yeah. Um, I've. You know, if, when I was coming of age, mm-hmm. you know, I had this split life of like indie rock or you know british stuff or yeah tons of that and in then background. rap we called yeah. it rap music back then so yeah you me know, too I like public enemy public like enemy like tribe called Col- quest Tix nations yeah League. those were huge cassettes huge. That, that i had and and it got you know it went from everything from like the ghetto boys to Ice T to all that stuff mm-hmm. and now seeing my son get completely into there's kind of uh i don't know if you call it alternative hip-hop but it's like deep cut stuff that's you know it feels a little punkish like the mm. punkish wing of hip-hop yeah. it's really interesting i don't yeah. know if i would have gotten there without him you know what i mean yeah i don't know if i would have had the time and the depth to, to dig in that deep but it's really cool to that's awesome re-experience music through your kids ears in a way
1: for sure. And I think my daughter will get there. It's starting to show up. Um, but I mean, like, growing up in Harrisburg, like, what was on the radio? Like, Poison, I think, was from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, really? Um, like, yeah. That. Like, I don't know, like, all that glam rock and, Cinderella. like, the top 40 stuff. Like, all you wanted was, like, 120 minutes. Like, my brother and I used to tape it and just, like, that's how we found all our music, right?
0: Definitely. Yeah, it was, it was those that time every week was just, Mm -hmm. that was your Spotify suggested playlist, basically.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: That and the local record store of just reading the little, the blurbs under the Mm -hmm. CDs and hoping that it was gonna be good. That was your way of figuring out, you
1: know. Oh, record stores.
0: Yeah, the old days.
1: (laughs) There for a long time, High Fidelity was one of my favorite movies. I just loved, yeah.
0: John Cusack.
1: Yeah, being in that rec- record store. And then also the the records that he had <coughs> organized autobiographically, not alphabetically. Right. So good.
0: And to bring so it full circle, mm-hmm. in High Fidelity, when he's in the record store at one point, Ian Williams is in that shot looking through records, who is the guitar player for Don Caballero.
1: Oh, no way. And
0: Battles Now and Storm and Stress. Nice. Who we used to go see when we were Young kids playing at the University of Pittsburgh at their little auditorium and nice. the Electric Banana in Pittsburgh.
1: Mm. Mm. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, the Harrisburg.
0: Well. I'm sure there were some garage shows, or you know. Oh yeah,
1: for yeah. sure. I I was texting with my brother because I was like, "What record? Right record label was your your band on? Like, he put a 45 out, and um, it was this this label called Protein Records." Um, but there were a couple different record labels in Harrisburg. It's like, who knew Harrisburg yeah. would have its own record label? Was it
0: Pro Teen, yeah. like teenager? Pro Teen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wait, was Weston from near Harrisburg?
1: Weston, I don't know Weston.
0: Oh, they were this great pop punk band.
1: Oh, I, I'll have to look I, them I, for up. For some reason, I feel this like. This happens every time I listen area. to your podcast, I have to write down a bunch of people.
0: They would play State College and they were really good they played the hub one time and just Mm. blew the doors off but there were so many shows back then in State College in basements where you would see amazing like the makeup or you know discord bands would play in tiny basements with like people crammed in uh, Pretty amazing. I
1: love that. Yeah. And really bad for your hearing. <laughs> so I oh, can't yeah. can't hear it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, for sure. I was always right up against the speaker, like right in the front row. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> when I, and I played in bands, so I right. suffered a lot. I, although at that point, I feel like I was a little more cognizant of it and maybe were mm-hmm. oh, earplugs started... or, or oh, nice. just didn't sit right in front of the speaker. <laughs> but <laughs> when I'm in class and there's a critique and students, I can't hear what they're saying because they talk like that, you know. I, I just say it, like I've been around too many PA systems in my life. I can't hear yeah. a word you're saying.
1: <laughs> good, it's not just me. That's good no.
0: Those shows were amazing though, and I I really don't know. So intimate. Do they happen anymore?
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. Really?
0: You think yeah. there's basement shows? The kids
1: are all right. You know. Oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. I I don't know. That's what my students tell me. In fact, Some... a couple of my students in my art and electronic media were having a show last night at ten o'clock. Oh really? So. Yeah.
0: That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that that, for me, zines, basement shows, skateboard culture, like that stuff mm-hmm. was fuel to my creative fire, you know? For and sure. it, There were so many basement shows that made me feel... 10 times more inspired than going to see an art show no offense to the art shows or whatever but mm-hmm. there was something in the energy of that that was just like yeah this is it mm-hmm. and then you would mm-hmm. go to the studio and like paint all night yeah uh and i just i i the you know nostalgia within me hopes that that's still happening
1: mm-hmm. but i'm, I'm sure, sure it's it
0: different you know but but yeah. just as good you know I agree Just an Instagram live that just rocks people's world you know, whatever <laughs> oh, it is it's a
1: brave new world but it yeah is. for sure
0: it is for sure yeah so uh what do you got coming up anything besides what you were, I mean
1: <laughs> yeah the other things yeah just I'm thinking about the Virginia Tech show quite a bit um it's actually two residencies one in the spring and then I get to like come back to the work and work well for the summer and then in the fall it'll be like a showcase. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. It's just thinking more long-term and strategic um, and trying not to spin my wheels with little shows. I, I don't know. I've done too much of that during my career. So I'm trying to like, yeah, prioritize certain experiences, so. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I would, I imagine still, you're still interested in doing things abroad as well, right? Oh, always. That itch.
1: Mm, doesn't go away. I would love to go to Japan. I know that's something you know, something about.
0: I um, mean, I'm so biased. One day. I feel like it's <laughs> the best. I mean, I, I've yet to. I'd love to go to Seoul. I've never been. Mm. So, well, listen. It was great to talk and catch it was up. So
1: fun, yeah, absolutely.
0: God, undergrad was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> you're, you're still young. I'm not saying you're. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're but in it your... was.
1: It was like a golden age for Penn State undergrad don't you think i mean i, I remember when i came back to talk at the palmer like some of the faculty were like oh those years <laughs> you know, yeah like, it's that group of students yeah
0: what for Sorry. all the people who listen not in new york the best way not to, to see what you're up to yeah it's just oh, website just... instagram stuff like that
1: totally joelle and then jdietrich on instagram
0: there you go yeah. yep. thank you
1: thanks brian <laughs>